Everything has its season, everything has its time. Show me a reason, and I'll soon show you a rhyme. Cats fit on the windowsill, children fit in the snow. Why do I feel I don't fit in anywhere I go? Rivers belong where they can ramble. My spirit can run free. Gotta find my corner of the sky. Hello and welcome to the Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. Hey, beautiful people, how's everybody doing uh, this wonderful Wednesday? Welcome to Smarch, um, and it's lousy Smarch weather. Uh, by the time you hear this, I am. Out of the 30 days of Whole30, if you want to hear how it went, go over to my personal Instagram, which is at UnknownPenguin, uh, and hear all about it. Uh, if you don't care, moving on. Um, I have a couple things for you this week. First and foremost, though, I have a uh, voicemail from Sharon about the Patreon episode we did on West Side Story with Brian Plofsky from uh, Broadwasted and uh, fan favorite Kenny Neal. So let's give a, a listen to that. Hi, Patrick. This is Sharon. I hope you're having a lovely day. Um, So I finished listening to the episode um, of Original Cast of the Movies, where you talked about West Side Story, and I actually have a few things that I wanted to say. Uh, One of them is, I know you kind of talked about how Richard Bamer is kind of the reason why the Tony Maria stuff doesn't work. I agree with you. I do think part of it could be the fact that, one, he didn't get to do what he wanted to do in terms of how he played the character, but I do think that some of it could have also been the fact that he and Natalie Wood didn't really get along very well. <laughs> I know that is not entirely his fault. They don't. I don't think they hated each other. They just didn't get along very well. You know how co-workers can do sometimes, and that just kind of came across in the performance a bit. That could have been part of it. I definitely agree with you that the order and how everything is placed, a lot of the changes to the stage version, or sorry, that the movie makes from the stage version immensely helps the show. Taking Officer Krupke and having that be in ostensibly the quote-unquote first act of the show because it makes it more of a fun thing and it kind of keeps the structure that the original Romeo and Juliet has because Romeo and Juliet is funny, 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 and then Mercutio and Tybalt died and then it is like a dead serious tragedy, like, like tragedy all the way down. (laughs) So I think it kind of helps keep the structure of the original Romeo and Juliet play much better when it does that for one. Um, And then it also changes the context of cool and makes it feel like it gives it more weight in a way because in the stage show cool is just him being like hey if the cops question you like what you're gonna do if you see the sharks just play cool and just like not worry about it but like um, in the movie ice is trying to you know 
calm his friends down about the fact that their gang leader and their best friend just got murdered and being like, hey, I know that you are all freaking out right now. Anyway, I have a lot of thoughts and opinions. <laughs> I've thought about this a lot. Okay, bye. Thank you, Sharon, for that lovely uh, voice memo. Um, I'm glad she agrees. And the reason I played this here uh, on the episode is, uh, even though it's about the Patreon, is one, to plug the Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash originalcastpod to know exactly what Sharon's talking about because the West Side Story episode was so much fun. And we're in our year of Sondheim here. We're on film two. It's going to be great. It's going to be a wonderful 12 movies we're covering. But um, Sharon's point is an interesting and controversial one that we did bring up in the episode about the reordering of the songs in the movie West Side Story from the show. And this, of course, happens a lot in, in adaptations to from stage to screen. It should happen because movies are different than stage productions. Uh, but... I'm interested what you think. The, the more controversial ones, I think, are in uh, Sound of Music as well, where they, they drastically reordered songs. I also think to greater effect uh, than in uh, than in the stage production. But um, the the switching of Cool and Officer Krupke is one of those like long-standing music theater debates about whether it's a good idea or whether it's not. Bernstein, Sondheim, and Lawrence all think it's a bad idea. Uh, Everyone else I've ever talked to thinks it's a good idea, but also everyone else I ever talked to also saw the movie first. So it's kind of a skewed sample size. I don't know if there's anybody who saw the stage show before they saw the movie these days. Uh, it, it just seems very unlikely. It's, it's you know, 10 Academy Awards and, and a huge success and, a, and an excellent film. So, uh, but let me know. What do you think? Do you think it's better that Cool should be in Act 1 and Krupke should be in Act 2? Um or do you think, that, and you think G. Officer Krupke is a perfectly cromulent uh, reaction to the death of Riff? Or do you think Cool does that job uh, better? Uh, so go ahead and, and give us a shout and send your voice memos to uh, unknown. Send your voice memos to originalcastpod at gmail.com. And thank you, Sharon, as always, for, for sending in a voicemail. Um, and I also uh, want to tell you this week, I have two things for you for you this week. Uh, one is a Hulu. They say it's a documentary. I wholeheartedly disagree, but I also don't know how well, how you classify it. I think they've called it a documentary because it contains documentary elements. It's called In and of Itself. It is a um, it's a show, basically, is how I would describe it. Um, it is uh, by uh, Derek Delgadio. It is a one person slash magic show. Now stick with me. I buried the magic thing because it does turn some people off. So I I I I want I want to talk about the magic show second. So don't don't worry about that. The 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 more important part is the one person showness of it. This is a uh, a show about uh, one man's life, and it's about identity, and it's about identity not only about who we are, but also the meaning we ascribe to objects and how that can really affect our lives. And that is something I'm always infinitely fascinated in is what you do to, um, to something, how something can be imbued with meaning uh, beyond its intention because of an experience you have with it. And so it, it's a lot of that. It's about things that have meanings and people that have meanings and how we're seen by others and how we want to be seen by others and how, both are valid and neither are valid, and one is not necessarily more important than the other. But it's also about how incredible it can be 
when you are seen for how you wish to be seen and how that can be the most magical experience in the world. Okay, now we're going to talk about the magic show. If you don't care about magic, don't worry. Skip ahead two minutes and we won't talk about the magic anymore. So again, like skip ahead two minutes now. It is the most amazing magic show I've ever seen. I love magic shows. I love close-up magic shows, specifically. I I am someone who's been to the Magic Castle in L.A. when I lived out there. It was an amazing night. I saw three close-up magic shows. They were incredible. I also saw a big stage magic show, which I don't care for as much. Um, It all gets a little Joe Bluth for me at at certain points. Uh, But close-up magic has the ability to really mystify. And the greatest close-up magic show I've ever seen is a video, and it's Ricky Jay and his 52 assistants. This borrows a lot from that in terms of some of the tricks are a little similar. The card work is incredible but what's interesting about uh derek delgadio's approach to me is the total lack of showmanship he puts into it because the show has a tone of self-revelation and self-investigation really and he is never thrilled with what he is doing and it, it he he's sort of questioning why does he do magic in the first place and so the tricks are not presented or illusions are not presented in a sort of like, hey, look at what I just did way, they're presented in a very matter-of-fact way, which is so interesting because a couple of them are miraculous, including the last two. The last two tricks he does, he only does also in the whole 90 minutes, I think six tricks, uh, if I'm counting the theme of the show correctly. But the last two are startlingly good, and it really just will knock you down. They're they're so incredible. So And they all fit within the greater theme of the show. Um and so that's why I buried the lead on this though a little bit because I think people can be prejudiced against magic shows. So Welcome back to the people who don't care about magic and skip it. I would recommend backing up. Because it's actually, you know, I think I expressed myself pretty well just now. But in any event, it is one of the most amazing things I've seen. It's only 90 minutes. It's on Hulu. People have been talking about it for a couple of weeks. Um, but uh, I just saw it. I think it's amazing. And people I've talked to still haven't seen it. So it's not like blowing up yet. Um, so go check it out. Hulu.com in and of itself. There'll be a link in the uh, in the show notes to it. Uh, it is emotionally exhausting and intellectually endlessly stimulating. I'm still thinking about it several days later. I can't wait to watch it again. Uh, It's absolutely remarkable. The other thing I want to talk about is a newsletter that you should absolutely be subscribed to from former guest and friend of mine, uh, Lauren Halverson. Lauren uh, was the literary manager at Studio Theater here in D.C., and she uh, was furloughed and then laid off. Her position was eliminated from studio during the last year. Um, well, one thing she did was, her fa- one of her favorite parts of her job, she said, was creating a newsletter where every week she would sort of cull together various interesting theatrical news from around the country, five or six articles and links and put them together for a studio and, and adjoining artists to look at and to keep abreast of what's going on in theater. And she missed doing it. So she started it up, um, I think in November again, and it's available to the public. It's called nothing for the group and you can subscribe to it at nothingforthegroup.substack.com. There'll be, of course, a link in the show notes. It's totally free. Donations appreciated. And as a donor, I'm recommending that you do, but 
I want to bring it up this week because uh, it's great and it's so much fun. But this week's was not fun. This week's was poignant and this week's was excellent because this week's was all about uh, Lauren's reaction to the resignation of Ethan McSweeney from the American Shakespeare Center. And a disturbing trend she has noticed and articulates beautifully uh, in the way that we frame artistic directors' resignations due to their inappropriate slash bad behavior and how it is clearly done in a way to protect the artistic director and the institution because those two things are inexorably, in the eyes of the institution, I believe, linked. And to badmouth one is to badmouth the other. And I think that that reveals a larger and more unhealthy um, than we could possibly imagine uh, response to the way we view artistic directors in this country and is part of the overall problem. And Lauren says it better than me, so I won't um, try to paraphrase. I will not even quote. You have to go find this because it's absolutely worth it. And as I said, it's absolutely free. You go to nothingforthegroup.substack.com and become a subscriber to Lauren Halverson's Nothing for the Group. It's worth it every week, but this week especially, go read it. It is outstanding uh journalistic though she's not a journalist and she will be the first to to tell you that uh but um it is just so astute and well organized and well thought out and uh i i think it's uh, essential reading for everybody uh this week so that's what I have for you guys this week and this intermission. Uh, next week's episode is Frank Britton talking about Bring Into Noise, Bring Into Funk. Two weeks from now, we're doing Marty Thomas talking about Miss Saigon. And then after that, the guest is still up in the air. And I'm hoping it's going to be somebody fun and exciting uh, and connected to to Marty Thomas. So that's, uh, that's going to be interesting. But until that's all confirmed and I know what show it's going to be, I'm not going to tell you what it is. But we've got some other stuff great coming up uh, later in the year that I'm really excited about. And as always, go to patreon.com slash originalcastpod and become a patron of the original cast. Talking about Sondheim, we've done Six by Sondheim and we've done West Side Story. Next up is uh, Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum and then Evening Primrose and then The Last of Sheila, which I am very excited to talk about. The one screenplay Stephen Sondheim wrote. Uh, it's, uh, it's a great movie and I cannot wait to tell you about it, especially if you like Knives Out. So, Thank you so much for listening. As always, have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week with Bring On to Noise, Bring On to Funk. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Tell your story.